I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 41. We'll take a break for a few weeks from that which we've been studying on Sunday mornings lately and uh, just uh, spend some time in some other places for a while. So I want to invite you this morning to Isaiah chapter 41. Uh, we'll consider verses 8 through 10. And our thought for the day, an old promise for a new day. An old promise for a new day. Our text reads this way, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Notice that last phrase in verse 8 one more time as I read it. The seed of Abraham, my friend. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. And then our main verse for our thought this morning is verse 10. Fear thou not. And then that word for gives us a reason. Do not be afraid. Why? For I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Well, Stuart, would you lead us in a word of prayer, please? Men. April of 2009, this is the cover of Time magazine, uh, Newsweek, pardon me. The Decline and Fall of Christian America. Just let that sink in for a minute. We who have boasted from our foundation, we who have uh, challenged the rest of the world, that we were a nation founded and built upon the principles of one God and of His Word. And in 2009, Newsweek had an article and their cover was The Decline and the Fall of Christian America. We live in a time that is challenging. We live in a time that has become filled with uncertainties. We live in a time that has been filled with violence and disasters. We live in a time of economic upheaval. We have lived in a time that has brought to light and to the forefront of minds a couple of terms, stress, tension, things of those nature. More than ever before, People are going to the doctor and looking for help to deal with the stresses and, and, and the, the discouragements that, that cause them to find themselves uh, living through depression. In 1984, 
Orwell, George Orwell, wrote a book entitled 1984 in which he introduced the idea that we were, we were on the precipice of, of a nuclear holocaust, a nuclear war, and, and he, he brought in several other things and, and, and portrayed it with a big brother and, and all of these things. And, and he was trying to show that in his opinion the, uh, the, the nearness to, to difficult times that we faced. In fact, for years there's been what is called a doomsday clock. And the doomsday clock suggests the idea that at a midnight hour, that the world will experience a nuclear holocaust and that life will be over as we know it. In 1953, after Russia had tested a hydrogen bomb, those that think of these things said we need to move the needle to two minutes till 12. And their idea, that's how close we were to a nuclear war. By 1991, the Cold, world had, uh, the Cold World War pardon me, had ended. U.S. and Russia had reduced their nuclear arsenals. And you see the hand moved all the way down to 17 minutes before midnight. They felt like we were much safer and that you could move that handle far, far from doomsday. 2017, after North Korea began to uh, test fire their nuclear missiles and have their test, the hand was once again, once again moved all the way till two minutes, a little over two minutes, towards midnight, uh, especially as President Trump had made some threats. In 2018 and even into 2019, that hand has moved yet even closer. According to those that... I guess, are in the know about this. They say we are at two minutes before midnight. I, I don't really believe that our world's going to end because of nuclear bombs and nuclear war. I think God's reserved that right for himself. But I will tell you this, for those that read this stuff and buy into this stuff, there's a great deal of fear and anxiety as they live in a world that, that they feel like is that close to disaster. In 1999, you all may be remembering that uh, there was this fear and this concern that as we hit the year 2000, that the computers were all going to crash and and, and, you know, we might not have believed it back in 2000 that computers could be the death of our nation. I'm not sure now. <laughs> I go to Walmart and they can't function without being able to scan something. I went to Sam's the other day, and not only do you scan everything when you buy it, but I went to check out after I picked up some stuff for the church, and I came out, and guess what? I had to hand them my receipt, and guess what they did again? They scanned it again. Now, it used to be they just had a yellow highlighter, and they put a slash through it. But now we have to scan it again. Our world is so centered on computers. And, and so when 2000 came along and everybody said, boy, our computers are going to blow up, once again, the world went into a tailspin and there was a great deal of anxiety and a great deal of fear. Now, 
Listen, I, I realize we're past 1984 and we didn't have a nuclear holocaust. I realize we've bypassed 2000. I realize we're past 2009 and you may not agree that Christian America has experienced a decline and fall. Uh, you may not think that. And you may think that the world is a lot more cheerful and cheery and, and happy and beautiful and sunshiny and all that place than I particularly think it is. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you as I talk to people, at least my experience is, most people don't feel that way. Especially those that do not know Christ as their personal Savior. And rightfully so for them that they do not have that warm, fuzzy feeling that everything's going to be okay. I've been thinking a lot this week of, of things that go on in, in, in the people's lives of, that, that I have pastored. I'll just not share a lot of them, but I remember uh, being called back to the very first church I pastored and, and, and being asked to do the funeral of, of two twin boys. Now, that first church I pastored was country. Okay, I tried to emphasize the fact that they were country by the way I said it. They was country enough that I walked in one day and as I was opening everything up, turning the lights on, make sure the air and everything's set where it is, I walked into the Sunday school classroom that was just off the auditorium and there was a ground rattlesnake in there. And as far as I know, we ain't had any rattlesnakes in faith. And if you start bringing them in, you're going to have to find a new pastor. But now this was a place that was out in the country. Most people said we had to pump sunshine in. And I say all that because these boys were raised in the country. From the age of about probably four or five years old, they had gone deer hunting with their dad numerous times. On this year, dad said they could go by themselves for the very first time. One was, getting, was already in the deer stand, the other one was handing him up the muzzle loader, which was already loaded. And he handed it up barrel first. The one sitting in the tree stand grabbed it by the barrel to pull it to him. The young boy that had it, the twin, had his finger inside the trigger guard. So when his brother pulled the muzzleloader, it went off and shot the other one in the tree stand. I went back and preached the funeral. And that young brother that survived sitting in the audience, blaming himself, the father, sitting there thinking, maybe I let him go alone too early, blaming himself. Many is the time that I've had parents call me and my son was arrested. My son was just killed. I've been called because houses have been burnt down. I've been called because of deaths. I've been called for a lot of things and, and, and a lot of tragic events. Some of them handled it well, some of them not quite so well. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've gone through a tragic event. Maybe you're looking around at our world and you're concerned at the fact that people are no longer interested in church and that, that people are not interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I've seen a lot of children have to make health decisions for their parents that were very difficult. I've stood by a mom and dad that had to decide to pull the plug on a ventilator. You get the idea. There's a lot of stuff that goes on and a lot of stuff can happen in life that can shake us to our core. I want you to know there's an old promise for a new day. An old, old promise that time has not been able to weaken. The old promise for a new day. I want us to consider three things this morning. Number one, to whom is the promise given? Number two, by whom is the promise given? And number three, of what does the promise consist? Again, I want us to consider for our thoughts, to whom is the promise given? By whom is the promise given? And of what does the promise consist? We'll begin with, to whom was the promise given? You might read this and you see the name of Abraham. You might read the name Jacob as you look at Isaiah chapter 41. And you might be tempted to say, well, Brother Jeff, there's a couple of issues that would make this promise null and void to you and I. Maybe you might think, well, but this is a promise from, from way back in antiquity. You might think, well, this is a promise that was made several thousand years. What does it have to do with us? You might think, well, this is a promise that is made to a, a group of people of a certain uh, ethnic background and a certain ethnic origin, and we're not that. So what does this promise mean for you and I? Does it apply to us? I certainly think that when we study promises in the Word of God, we have to be careful not to apply a promise to us that is not intended for you and I. However, I ask you this morning to consider a few verses with me as we ask ourselves, does this apply to you and I? Let me remind you again, the words that we paid close attention to, he said that uh, this was a promise my page flip, sorry. This was a promise that was given to Jacob and to the descendants of Abraham who he called his friend. Would you read with me, if you will, go to the Gospel of John for just a moment. Flip over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, remembering that this promise is made to the descendants of Abraham who is God's friend. The Gospel of John, chapter 8. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? Then Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. 
I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have uh, seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If you were of Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not, Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you likewise believe, or you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. If you go back to where we first began reading, he was talking to Jews. But he said, you don't listen to the words of God. You don't believe me and I came from God. You reject me. How can you accept God and reject his son? And the longer this went on, the more red they saw and the more fired up they got because he got down to the real issue. He said, listen, you guys are not of God. You're not descendants of Abraham. You want to know who you really descended from? He said, you're of your father, Satan. Boy, I bet you could have heard a hush. I used to have a, a dear old lady that used to say, you can never say anything that's not positive. And I realize I can go to seed sometimes, preaching and not mentioning enough positive things. I asked her several times to read this over and over and over again. How positive was Jesus with these guys? Well, it's, hey, be on the bright side. You're of Satan, but it's okay. Feel good about that. Is that what he said? Jesus begins to build the foundation here that you and I may not be of Hebrew ethnicity. But if we do the works of Abraham and we believe the words of Abraham, we believe the words of God, then we are children of Abraham and children of God. In John chapter 15, if you remember, Jesus said, I will no longer call you my servants, I will call you my friend. And that's why I stressed that when we read it in Isaiah, that he said, uh, the children of Abraham, my friend. In, in John chapter 15, Jesus said, you believe, you believe in me. And so I call you my friends. If you will, look in the book of Romans. Let's see if we can find more evidence that we, as the children of God, can lay claim to this. Romans chapter 4. 
Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Paul said, What shall we say then, that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham was a Jew? No, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Remember what I taught you about the word it? Pastor told us when we were kids in church the importance of understanding what it was. And he said he would send his wife to the hardware store and say, go get a five-gallon bucket of it. And so she would go to the store and say, I want five gallons of it. And the salesman would say, well, what is it? And that's exactly what he wanted us to do when we read the word it in scriptures. It was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness. What is it? The fact that he believed God. Not that he was a Jew. Not that God had called him from the Ur of Chaldee. But because he had trusted in God. Skip on down, if you will, to verse 11. And pay close attention to what he says here. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith that he had, yet being uncircumcised. Follow along. Paul's saying he was circumcised while he was yet uncircumcised. And you might be thinking, well, that don't make no sense. How did that happen? The first circumcision that he's talking about is a spiritual one. Abraham had received a spiritual circumcision. That is that seal of a relationship and a covenantal relationship. And he had done that while in the flesh he was yet uncircumcised. Now continue to read on. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be what? The father of all Jews. No, the father of what? All who believe. Well, if you're 350 pounds and you believed, will that work? According to what Paul wrote it is. Well, if you're 190 pounds, will it work? If you're 8 years old, if you're 80, if you've just had to bury a child, if your world seems to be crumbling, if you live in a world that is full of, uh, of uncertainty, if your job has faltered, if raising a child and the child is, has, has made some choices to go against that which he was raised, if this happens, if that happens, can I claim the promise? Well, Paul said that if we believe, then Abraham is the father of us. All them that believe though they be not circumcised. You don't have to be a Hebrew to be a descendant or a child of Abraham and thus a child of God. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. There was a lot of other references that I was going to read this morning. Uh, you can see me after service if you'd like to get them. Galatians chapter 3, 1 Peter, several places in Peter. But hopefully it's been suffice to show us that 
this promise was given to those descendants of Abraham. And if you're a born-again child of God this morning, I want you to know you can claim this promise, I believe. I believe you can take what is said in the book of Isaiah and you can put it in the bank and rely upon it. Who is the promise given? Well, I believe it's been given to you and I this morning. So, then we need to ask ourselves, by whom is this promise given? By whom is this promise given? I want you to read this a couple of times with me that's on the screen and think about it and judge for yourself if you agree with it or not. The assurance of a promise made is a promise kept rests solely upon the character of the one making the promise. Think about that for a minute. The only way, let me just put it in simpler terms in, in, in how we normally talk. The only way that I can have any confidence that a promise given to me will be a promise that is kept is by the character of the one who gave me the promise. If you can't tell the truth and you give me a promise, I ain't going to believe it. That's the character. But when God makes a promise, I believe it. You know, we all have known disappointments. We've all trusted somebody that said they were going to do this and they didn't. We all have believed the words of a pastor, a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a church member, a friend, and have been disappointed. Inside your bulletin this morning was the words to a song. I printed them out. You know, words, that, songs that we know. I don't think there's a great deal of value maybe always in printing the words because we know them. But when there's a song that we're not familiar with, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of value in printing those words and handing them out so that people can read along. A lot of times when people are singing, if it's not a song I know, I'm struggling and I don't make out all the words. I don't know if any of you have that problem. But I'm going to ask Tyler to play the song. You just read along these words and think about it. And, and, and just think about, we often have been disappointed, but we cannot be disappointed with God.
tremble, make me so afraid. I'll wrestle Satan through the night till the breaking of the day. With just a straight to look toward heaven, glory is revealed. He stands there waiting, gently saying, Child, you know I one of the songs, just one of many, that is one of my favorites from them. I cannot tell you how many times as a pastor I've had church members say, but Brother Jeff, you don't understand. And you're right, sometimes I may not understand. You may be going through something that I've not had to walk through. But I can tell you this, whatever it is, there is a promise, and he does understand and he'll fight all of our battles that we're willing to let him fight with us. And he can make all of our trials turn to victory. By whom is this promise given? This promise uh, is given by the only one who is eternal. The only one who is unchanging. If the children... Uh, the, uh, of, uh, of Israel that were facing the, the, the fiery furnace, if they found that God would walk them through that fire and bring them out the other side uh, unscathed and not even having the smell of smoke on them, then I'm telling you today, that same God is my God today. The God that gave Moses the ability to part a Red Sea to bring forth water from rocks. That's my God today. The God who was able to bring the dead back to life, who was able to heal all manner of diseases. That's our God today. I understand we live in a, in, in a fearful time. And I got news for you. If we're not already in the extreme latter days, as they come, the days are going to get worse. But the days won't change God. He is the only one that is eternal. The only one that is unchangeable. I hear it from time to time. Boy, you're just not the same Jeff you used to be. I want to say, well, you're not the same whoever I used to know you to be. <laughs> we change. Governments change. World climate changes. I still believe 
that the foundation of knowing that there is one God and that sin and, and the consequences of sin, I, I still say that has changed in the last 10 to 15 years. But God has not. And it's because he is unchangeable that I can now rest in, in, in absolute certainty to this promise. It is vitally important that we ask ourselves this morning, who is it that gives this promise? Because the promise that is made, the assurance that a promise made is the promise kept, is only and solely based on the character of the one that gives it. God is eternal, unchanging. He is powerful. He is merciful. He cares. In fact, we are told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, to cast all of our cares upon Him. Why? Because to Him, it is a care concerning us. Peter makes a play on word, and he says, take all of your cares and give them to Him. Why? Because to Him, you and I are a care. He's concerned about us. He loves us. Doesn't mean He's going to make all of our problems disappear. But he cares about us while we go through those problems and he helps us to go through them. I want to share with you just a few things concerning this God and then we'll move on to our last point. Whom is the promise given? The promise is given by one whose truth does not change with the passing of time. If you're still in Isaiah 41, flip back to Isaiah chapter 40. Just go up a few verses and, and read with me Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 8. And hear what Isaiah had come to understand about God in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 8. Bear with me, I was back over in Romans. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8. Here's what Isaiah had said about God. The grass withereth, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Forever. I, listen, they can redefine marriage all they want. They can redefine when life begins all they want. But they can't change the fact that God's truth remains solid. It's always been truth. And it'll always be truth. And there's not a thing that any power can do to stop it. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away. But my word abide forever. His truth is not changed by time. That book that I mentioned, 1984, introduced the idea that 2 plus 2 is 5. Got nothing to do with common core, although I don't understand all there is to know about that. But the point is made. I don't care if man says 2 plus 2 is whatever you think it is. Because 2 plus 2 is 4, it always has been, and it always will be. You put two apples beside two more apples, and I don't care how you explain it. I don't care if you tell me it's your truth. You put two apples beside two apples, there won't be five apples sitting there. There'll only be four. Whether it's your truth or not, because truth does not change, especially God's truth. By whom is this promise given? By one whose purposes do not change. 
Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God himself said, I have plans, I have purposes for you. They're not to destroy you, but they're for your good. Nothing's changed that. Not for his children. Now, this promise is exclusive, yes, but it's not exclusive to the Hebrews. It's not exclusive to the Jews. It is exclusive to the children of God. If you're not a child of God, you can't claim this. But if you are a child of God, you can rest assured in the promise that we're about to look, to, look at. And you can know that God has a plan and a purpose for our life. Now, I'm not going to tell you that it's always an easy plan and an easy purpose. I'm not going to tell you that it's always going to be smooth sailing. You know, sometimes God took his disciples into the storm on a ship, didn't he? But he didn't bail on them in the middle of it, did he? He was right there. And he had a plan and he had a purpose. And the purposes of God do not change. 2 Timothy, I love the purpose of God in 2 Timothy. When, when Timothy writes, who that, uh, speaking of God, who would have all men to be saved. That's God's purpose, his plan. I, 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 get to, I, I hate battling Satan. I'll say things, I'll do things, I'll feel things, I'll be spiteful, I won't be humble. I, I, I battle these things just like everybody else. And I'm tired of battling, and I'm even worse, tired of losing the battle from time to time. But I'm telling you, God's got a purpose, God's got a plan in which that enemy, Satan, is not going to bother me anymore. He's got a plan and a purpose where I can live in a world that won't know anything about nuclear holocaust that won't know anything else about cancer that never again will a twin boy shoot his twin brother by accident god's got a plan and a purpose for his children far greater than anything this world could offer us by whom is this promise given by one whose power does not change with the passing of time now again you have to understand this doesn't mean that i can pray about it always and it's all going to get better. That's all in God's purpose and plan again. You know, and I always hear this. I always hear this. Religionists say if you pray about something and it doesn't come to pass, then what's the problem? What do they always say? Either you didn't pray hard enough or normally it's what? You didn't have faith. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I didn't have the faith? What did we say earlier? A promise given, the assurance of it being a promise kept, rests solely in my faith. It rests solely in the character of the one that's giving it. It's not about me. It's not about being a great prayer warrior, a mighty man of faith. In fact, the reference that I made a minute ago about Jesus and the disciples and the storm and the ship, you remember what he said to them? He's already asked him a few times, how is it you have so little faith? You know what he said this time, though? How is it that you have no faith? You have no faith. How could that be? The promise given is secured not by our faith, but by the character. And he is one that is unchanging. His truths, his purposes, his power, none of that changes with the passing of time. We'll hurry on and talk about an old promise for a new day. To whom is the promise given? By whom is the promise given? And then we want to look finally at what does the promise consist? 
The promise consists of two commands. Go back and look at your text. Command number one is what? Anybody remember? Fear not. Do not be afraid. I was going to put this on a slide, and I thought, no, I'm going to challenge them to do a little bit of research. I challenge you to get out a concordance or a phone or whatever you've got your Bible app on and just do a search on how many times in the Word of God God's children have been told, do not be afraid, do not fear, or do not be dismayed. It is an amazing number. Now, if you really want to do some research, go back and find out what was going on that caused the fear, and you're going to see that there is a wide range of things. And here's the beautiful point. That's what I was saying earlier. Whatever it is, I just lost my best friend. I just lost my wife. I just lost a grandchild. I just experienced this. My job just collapsed. Everything I'd set aside for retirement, I found out I'm living longer than I set aside. Whatever it is, do not fear is what God says. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wake up and face the day filled with anxiety and worry because of the character that made, of the one that made the promise. Do not fear. The second one is do not be dismayed. This is one of those times where I do the, re the word search or the word research and study. And I'll look up the Hebrew word in this case because it's Isaiah, the Old Testament. And I'll look at the word and I'll think, I must have looked at, uh, at a little hiccup wrong or something because this, this can't be right. The word that is translated dismayed here, is, it, it literally means to gaze. And you see why I thought, well, wait a minute, I'm, I, I looked up the wrong word somehow. And then I got to thinking about it. How many times in our lives have we faced something that just caused us to stand there with that gaze of what do I do now? That gaze of defeat, that gaze of disappointment, that gaze of discouragement, that gaze of, oh no. That gaze of, I could do this or I could do this, and I'm not sure if either one of them are right, or maybe I hadn't even considered the right path yet. The more I thought about it, I thought, I understand why this word means to gaze, to have that blank stare of, there's so much in my heart, so much on my mind. You know, I've even found myself, and I, I, I apologize or try to for doing it, but people will come and they want to talk to you, and, and the whole time they're talking to you, you've got all this stuff in your life, and so you've got that gaze, and, you, and, and they're talking, but you don't hear them because you've got that gaze of, oh, I don't, how am I going to meet all these deadlines and all this and that and the other, and how am I going to make it without him or her in my life now, and and. and God said, do not stare out into the abyss of space and wonder. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Who can I turn to? You know, sometimes there are things that happen in our lives that 
I don't even feel comfortable going and telling my dearest, closest friend. And you just got that gaze of how I need to unburden, I need to get stuff off my chest, but I don't, if I go and tell Joe, is he going to judge me? If I go and tell Tommy, is Tommy going to say, you big sissy, grow up. Man, that's nothing compared to what I've gone through. See, we have those gazes from time to time. I, listen to me now, Heather, I can go to God. And I can just unburden it all. And I can know that he stand there waiting, gently saying, my child, you know I will. You know I will. Just give them to me. Trust in me. I will lead you through this. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. Well, why? Because I am with you. I don't know of anything that will dispel unbelief and fear more than knowing that the presence of God is there before me. Is that not what he told Mary Martha as he approached Lazarus' tomb? What are y'all carrying on like this for? Do you not know that I am the resurrection and the life? Oh, why, yes, Jesus, we know that out there somewhere. But Lord, there ain't nothing can be done about it now. And Jesus didn't say it in these words, but the, between the lines is this. You just stand behind the tree and watch. Lazarus come out of the grave. And here he come. Here he come. Man, that's great stuff. He may not raise our loved ones from the grave, but we can go to them. And we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to gaze because of his presence. There's a twofold promise. We'll quit, quickly consider what does the promise consist? Not only a twofold command, but there's a threefold assurance. I will strengthen you. I did another word research study on this word strengthen. You want to know something I think's neat? This same word strengthen is the word that is used to describe Pharaoh when he got when he got a little shaky. <laughs> God started bringing on some of those plagues, and Pharaoh thought, hmm, I can't battle this God. I need to let these people go. But then he would strengthen his heart, and he would find the resolve to, to, to defy God yet again. Now, that's not the kind of strength that God will give us, all right? But it'll give you an idea of what God is telling us. Listen, when you think, when you think you can't take one more step, Brother Jerry, I'll give you the resolve to face another day. When you think I have come to the end of my rope, then there is God saying, yes, but I'll show you how you can hold on a little longer and climb up it. I will strengthen you. It's an old, old promise but it's just as real in our new day. He says, not only will I strengthen you, but I will help you. I will give you aid. I will be there to pick you up. I will be there when the tears are flowing, when you can't sleep at night, 
and all of this is running through your mind and, 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 and all you can think is, I just don't know how much longer I can take this. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I am a sissy, Tommy. You, you said I was a minute ago. <laughs> maybe I am, but there have been times in my life where, Brother David, I've said just that. I don't know how much longer I can take this. The pain is too deep. The disappointment is too, too strong. The heartache. But in the book of Isaiah, God says, I will aid you, my child. I'll pick you up and I'll carry you. You know, that's what the shepherd does to sheep regularly. See, because the sheep keeps wandering off to his own detriment, the shepherd will often break the sheep's leg. So, well, that's awful harsh. Well, the sheep can't wander away with a broken leg. But here's the most important part about it. For the, for the entire time that that sheep is recovering from a broken leg, every time they're on the move, he's on the move draped over the shoulders of the shepherd. And here's what happens. When you are draped over the shepherd's shoulders long enough and your leg heals, you don't want to get away from the shepherd anymore. The shepherd says, I'll aid you. And then finally, I will uphold you. I have walked into churches, church buildings, not churches, this building's not the church. I've walked into this building, I've walked into every building of church that I've pastored at different times. I've walked into my bedroom, I've gotten in a truck and drove out into the middle of the wood and sat on a stump. I'm telling you these things, and you may think, boy, we got a preacher that's just emotionally a mess and unstable. But I have done those where I've knelt in prayer here. I've sat on a stump and talked with God. God, my heart hurts. I don't have the strength anymore, God. If you leave it up to me, God, I'll I just quit. I'll, I'll, I'll quit on my marriage, or I'll quit on this, or I'll quit on that. I'll quit pastoring. I, Lord, I just... I... And I read this verse the other day, and God said, I promise you, my child, I will uphold you. You know, to be upheld... I pretty well got to fall flat first. And I am glad to know today that when I fall flat, God says, my child, I love you so much. I made a promise thousands of years ago. It's still good today. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. And I will uphold you. Whatever time holds in the future, as we draw closer and closer to the end of time on earth, please know that this, this promise may be old, but it's still good in the new day in which you and I find ourselves living.
And whatever comes, whatever happens, time will not change God nor what God does or what he has said. I know some of you may not be going through anything right now. but Some of you have heavy hearts. I know that. I pray that you will know that I, I didn't design a sermon with you in mind. Some of it I didn't even know till just recently after the sermon was already ready. But I pray that you would know this. God made you, if you're his child, a promise. Let's read it one more time and we'll close. Isaiah chapter 41. Just let the word sink in. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, do not gaze wondering, for I am your God. There's a personal relationship there. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Yea, I will uphold you with the right hand of my Righteousness. Father, we come to you this morning. I know I've went long this morning. It's a little after 12. But Father, the, the, the precious, oh so precious truths of Isaiah chapter 41 has touched my heart all week long. Lord, I, I could not face another day in this life if I didn't know your plans and your purposes and your truths and your promises Lord help us when we're weak to fall upon these and to draw strength from you help us when our heart is overwhelmed to come to you and let you our loving father strengthen aid and uphold us God help us to show this world who lives in fear and constantly dismayed help us to show them how that you can face the uncertainties of this world with a great deal of confidence because of the character of our God May you get honor and glory. May you move and stir in hearts. And if you're moving today to spend some time in this altar, I pray, God, that not one of us would quench your spirit. If we stayed here till 12, 30, 1 o'clock, so be it, Father. For you may need today to aid, to strengthen, and to uphold one of your children. As we stand and sing now, Father, may you move. May we respond and follow you. And may you get honor and glory. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand.